Hey, just recently I was asked a pretty interesting question, and I really like this question for a couple of reasons. First of all, I knew the answer to it, which, you know, always good, always good. Um, but secondly, it was one of those questions, once you answer it, it starts to make you reflect a little bit and, and, and spend a lot of time with it. So let me give you that question, and you can think about it, and here's the question. The question is, who was your childhood hero? I don't know if your answer came as quickly to mind as my answer came, but I can tell you right now, mine came in a heartbeat. I knew the answer to this question. And six months from now, it'll be the same answer, and six years from now, it'll be the same answer. I knew the answer. So let me share my answer with you. And let me, before I do that, let me encourage you to do this. Right after service, I want you to find somebody you don't know or don't know very well and share the question with you. So find that person. It's called an icebreaker. Get to know them. Just say, who was your childhood hero? So here's mine. My childhood hero was Mickey Mantle. Mickey Mantle. See, now I hesitated to share that with you because I wasn't sure some of the young people would even know who Mickey Mantle was. So I did a little trial. I did a little test. I asked our 18-year-old daughter, Janice. I said, hey, Janice, you ever heard of Mickey Mantle? She said, no. And then there was this pause and sort of like a consolation to me. She said, I've heard of Mickey Mouse. (laughs) So not the same, not the same. But Mickey Mantle, I'm I'm telling you, Mickey Mantle in the third through eighth grade, Mickey Mantle was everything to me. Mickey Mantle was my hero. And I can honestly tell you, in the third through the eighth grade, I knew everything there was to know about Mickey Mantle. Everything. If there was a book about Mickey Mantle, I read it. If there was a magazine article, I owned it. If I got one of his baseball cards, I turned it over and I studied the back. And I can still, to this day, 40-some years later, tell you what was on the back of Mickey Mantle's baseball card. Baseball card. Born, Oklahoma. Spavanaugh, Oklahoma, to be exact. Bats, left and right. Switch hitter. Throws right. Position, center field. Lifetime batting average, 298. 298! That's huge. Career home runs, 536. Huge. Mickey Mantle was my hero. And I knew everything there was to know about the guy. And also on the back of his card up in the upper right-hand corner, they also had a little fun fact. In the off-season, Mickey likes to hunt and fish. And there was a little cartoon with him fishing. Good man. Exactly. Mickey Mantle was my hero. I even got to see him play a couple of times. Yeah, that's how old I am. Got to see him play. <laughs> old. <laughs> when are you leaving again? I'm not just, just checking. Up. <laughs> I even got to see him play a couple of times. And back in those days, back in the 60s, it was in the 60s, back in the 60s, when the game was over, you could stand where the players came out and you could try to get their autograph. Because they all got on a team bus. Not like today, but back in those days, they got on a team bus. So I waited there for Mickey to try to get his autograph. And I didn't get it. He got on the bus. So I thought, I'm not letting this pass me by. So I run around behind the crowd and I go up to the other side of the bus. And I'm looking for him and I find him. He's right next to the window about the middle of the bus. And I got my program in my pen like, Mickey, Mickey, please. And he didn't sign my autograph. 
But he did smile and wink at me. So, you know, <laughs> so there's a plus. But see, then I got a little older and I found out a few things about Mickey Mantle. I found out that he wasn't really a very good husband. He cheated on his wife. And I didn't really want to hear that because, you know, Mickey was perfect. He's my hero. And then I found out he wasn't a very good father because he wasn't around very much. And I didn't want to hear that either because Mickey was perfect. He was my hero. And then I found out he was an alcoholic. And he didn't expect to live very long because every man in his life had died when they were in their 30s. And he thought he was going to die too. He had no hope. So he tried to drink it away. So that's my hero. He was tarnished. So now, now I'm older and wiser, I hope. And now my hero is Jesus Christ. Amen. And Jesus is perfect. He's perfect. And I don't know everything there is to know about Jesus, but I'm trying because I read his book every day. And I get his baseball card too. And on the back of it, born Bethlehem. Bats left and right. Throws right and left. Wow. That's something. Position. Anybody want to take a guess? Two positions. Nope, not all. Only two positions. I'll give you a clue. First and last. Very good. Yeah. Yeah, very good. Yeah. Yeah. See, I thought I would give you like a really bad joke today so that you wouldn't miss Pastor Chad when he leaves. (laughs) And then up in the upper right-hand corner where they got that little fun fact, it says, you know, enjoys woodworking, right? Jesus. That was worse than the first one, right? Yeah. So that's pretty impressive, huh? Perfect. Perfect. Batting average 1,000. Perfect. Never missed a pitch. Perfect. So imagine my shock and my dismay. This week, I'm reading today's passage, and I find a flaw, a character flaw in Jesus. So I write down the title of today's message, Jesus the Inconsiderate. Because I think at the very best, He's being inconsiderate, if not downright rude. I think he was rude and wrong, and I am shocked. So now my hero Jesus tarnished. So before you take me out back and stone me for blasphemy, (laughs) let me walk you through it. Go with me, and I'll show you why I find the character flaw, and we'll see what we can do about it. So will you join me on that journey? But before we do, let's lift up this time in prayer. Will you join me, Father God? We just thank you for today, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Father God, that your word speaks to us every day, that we can open it up, that you will speak to our hearts, Father God, that your word, your blessings are new every morning. And we just ask that you would be here with us in this time as we study your word and that you would speak to each and every one of us. And we thank you in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, so here's a little fun fact about me, if I had a baseball card in the upper right-hand corner. Pete likes to underline and highlight. So if you get my soaps, you know that I like to underline little parts of verses. So I did the same thing here today. So let's take a look at this. We're starting in the the book of Mark, chapter 5, and we're starting with verse 21. So if you've got your Bibles, open them up to Mark, chapter 5, verse 21, and this is what it says. Now, when Jesus had crossed over again... Well, what does that mean? That means that he was here, and then he left, 
and now he's come back. So where's here? Well, here is the city of Capernaum. Capernaum, it's a small little fishing village. About 1,500 people live there. And for you biblical scholars, and by that I mean those of you in rows 1 through 3, I know, some of you just missed it. Biblical scholars, look up Isaiah 9, 1 to 2. You can do this later. Isaiah 9, 1 to 2, and look up Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 to 17. Because Isaiah predicts that Jesus would be right here in Capernaum. This is his town. This is where Jesus has done most of his miracles. At this point, Jesus has already healed a demon-possessed man, a leper, a paralytic, and a man with a withered hand. You think he's popular? He's very popular. You better believe it. So he leaves for a short time. He comes back, crosses the, over the lake, does a few miracles over there, comes back. You think they're waiting for him? You better believe they're waiting for him. They're expectantly waiting for him. A great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. He's the only game in town. He's the big show. Everybody wants to see it. If people missed his miracles the first time, they're not going to miss them this time. The great crowd gathers to him. Verse 22, and behold, behold, something spectacular is about to happen. Well, what's about to happen? Here it is. One of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, Jesus, when Jairus saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. So one of the Jewish rulers, there were about 20 in each town. So one of the top 20 guys in town comes to see Jesus and falls at his feet in honor and in respect. That's quite a behold because it didn't happen every day. And he did this in front of a large crowd despite his position of authority. Verse 23, and he begged him. He begged him. Why did he beg? Why do we beg? Why do we plead? And the Greek word here for begging really means to beg in an up-close and personal way, face-to-face, close to him. This wasn't from a distance like, hey, Jesus, help me. This was up-close and personal. And you do this when you're desperate. You do this when you're without hope. And he does this earnestly, and he says, my little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed, and she will live. This is quite a confession of faith in Jesus. He says, if you come and lay your hands on her, she will live. He doesn't question Jesus. Verse 24, so Jesus went. Jesus went. If you come to Jesus and ask him to go with you, Jesus will go with you. He went with Jairus. He'll go with you. Whatever journey you're on right now, he wants to go with you. Ask him. So Jesus goes, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. We're talking hundreds and hundreds of people. That's the number we're looking at, crowding around this one man. And they throng him. They press in on him. Get a picture of this in your mind. One man walking down the street and hundreds and hundreds of people in front and behind and on the sides pressing in on him. They're all heading in one direction, but it's chaotic. There's chaos. Verse 25. Now a certain woman, a woman, you know, 
See, so far in our story, only one guy's got a name, right? Other than Jesus, only one guy's important. That's Jairus. He's rich. He's powerful. He's got authority. He's got influence. He's Jairus. We're going to give him a name. But now, some woman, you know, now a woman. No, hang on. Maybe it'll get better. She's not important. She has no name. She's at best a face in the crowd. You ever felt like that? You're just kind of going with the flow. You don't really stand out. You're not really leading. You're just like, you're there. Whatever. This is my life. I'm just going along with it. She's just a woman. So what do we know about her? What's her problem? Well, we know she's not an old woman. That's one thing we know. I always thought she was an old woman. I pictured her like a frail old grandmotherly, grandmotherly woman. She's not an old woman. She's probably between the ages of 25, 35, 25, 30, somewhere in there. She's not an old woman. Whether she's married or not, we don't really know, but she could be married. She's of that age where she could be married. We know that much. And what's her problem? Well, some kind of an issue with her blood, some kind of a hemorrhaging or some kind of a flow. We don't really know. But whatever it is, she's unclean. According to Jewish law, she is unclean. And nobody wants anything to do with her. She's not allowed in here with us today because she's unclean. We don't want her in here because we're all clean. She's unclean. She's not allowed in here. And if she did come in here and she dropped something and Tyler picks it up, guess what? Tyler's unclean. And he sits on that chair. Guess what? That chair's unclean. Bad news for all of you. All those chairs are connected. You're all unclean. Please pick up your chairs and go. The whole row, pick up all the chairs. And don't touch anything on the way out because then that will be unclean. So imagine this woman's life. Nobody can touch what she touches. Nobody can pick up what she has dropped. Nobody can be near her. Nobody can touch her. If she has children, she can't hold them. She can't hug them. She's got a husband. She can't be with him. Not even in the same house. Because she'll be touching stuff and it'll be unclean. So she's been like this for 12 years. You think she's lost hope? I would have. She's an outcast. Nobody wants her around. Verse 26, and she suffered. She suffered. Oh, how she suffered. Many things from many positions. She spent all that she's had and was no better, but rather grew worse. 12 years so far and no cure. And who she suffered from, the physicians, these people of authority in the world that are supposed to know how to fix you. No better. Got worse. But then there's a light. There's a light in the darkness for her. Verse 27. When she heard, she heard. What she hears, she heard about Jesus. She probably missed the earlier miracles. She's not going to miss this one. She heard, so she came from behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. She comes from behind him, not face to face, because you know what? I don't think she thinks she's worthy to meet him face to face. But she thinks, I'll come behind him. I'll hide in the crowd. I'll reach out and I'll just touch him.
She reaches out and she touches her garment, his garment. Luke 8.44 tells us that she touched the fringe or the border of his garment. That means down low. That means she's down low on the ground, reaching out to touch whatever she can. All good Jewish men were required to wear these garments with the fringe or the tassels on them. Jesus was no different. So she reaches through the crowd on the ground and touches his garment. Verse 28, for she said, if you want to circle anything today, that's it. What did she do? What did she do? She spoke. She said. She spoke out loud with her mouth. Some of your translations might say she thought, but if you read the original translation, the original words in Greek, she spoke it, she said it, not once, many times. She repeated it out loud with her lips out loud. She spoke it. What did she say? She said, if I only, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. If only I touch his clothes, I shall be made well. That's pretty awesome faith. Because all she did was hear. She heard about him. That's pretty incredible. So it appears the rich and the powerful and those in authority, they don't have a corner on this faith thing. Looks like it's for all of us. So this certain woman who knew nothing except what she heard, she spoke the truth and she believed it. Verse 29, immediately. Mark loves this word, immediately. Mark uses this word 27 times. It means right now. It means straight away. It means without hesitation. Immediately. She touched his garment, and what? Immediately, the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. She believes. She touches. No hesitation. She's healed. Verse 30. And Jesus... See, when you step out in faith, and Jesus happens. When you step out in faith, Jesus moves. And Jesus, just like that, it's right here. She believed, she touched, she was healed, and Jesus. She reached out in faith, and Jesus moves. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that the power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? So here's another question for you. Does Jesus know who touched his clothes? He asks the question, but does he know? See, the answer is yes, he knows. Now you and I, we can get into this argument, was he fully man or was he fully God? Because if he was man, he wouldn't really know, would he? Because, you know, he was man, but well, he was also God, right? So how, like, which one is it? Let me tell you something. He knows who touched him, and I'm going to show you why in just a little bit. But he knows. This is not a man thing. This is a God thing. Jesus isn't walking around with this big giant box full of miracles and healing and stuff that's all loose on top and sort of falling out as he walks and dripping onto people and hitting people by accident. There's no accident to God. God has order. He knows what he's doing. He's in control. He knows who touched him. But he turns around and asks a question anyway. Why? Verse 31. But guess what happens? You step out in faith. Jesus moved. There's always going to be a but. There's always going to be somebody or something that's going to go but. 
I don't know if you do this with God, but I do it all the time. God says this, and I go, well, yeah, but, you know, because I really can't because, you know. And God says, no, 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 no. I said this, and I go, but, you know, I really can't do that. That's what I do. The disciples do the same thing. They can't just hear Jesus and accept it. They can't just take it for what it's worth and say, I'm going to hold on to that. No, they have to counter it. You don't have to counter what God says. At the very least, be quiet and listen to what he says. But his disciples said to him, you see the multitude thronging you, pressing in on you, and you say, who touched me? You've got to be kidding me. Who touched you? There's hundreds of people who touch you. Everybody's touching you, Jesus. That's what they're saying to him. Verse 32, and he looked around to see her who had done this thing. He's walking this way. She touches him. He stops. He says, who touched me? And he turns around, and he knows it's her. How do I know? Because read what it says here. He looked around to see her. If you and I were in a crowd and we got touched and we turned around, we'd be looking around to see who touched me. I'd be looking like, who, which one of you just touched me? Jesus doesn't do this. He turns around and he sees her. Her. He knows who touched him. He knows who touched him. Here's your next question. Does he know her? Does he know her? Never met her before. Does he know her? Answer to that, also yes. How do I know? Psalm 139. This is what it says. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days of my life were ordained for me, were written in your book before one of them came to be. Yeah, he knows who touched him, and he knows her. And guess what? He knows you too. He knows you. Verse 33 But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. There it is. Did you catch it? Did you catch it? But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Did you get it? The inconsideration? The rudeness of Jesus? Because I wouldn't have done this. So that's how I know it's rude, right? Because you know. (laughs) Here's the deal. He's walking along. He gets touched. We already agreed that he knows who touched him. He turns around. He sees her. He already knows her. She's healed. She knows she's healed. He He knows she's healed. How come he just doesn't give her a wink and a smile and walk away? How come he calls her out? She's had enough problems, hasn't she? Twelve years of being an outcast. Twelve years of nobody wanting anything to do with you. And what's Jesus do? He calls her out. Well, let's talk about your sin. We've got hundreds of, we've got the whole town here. Let's get it out in the open. Come on. Let's embarrass you a little bit more now that you've been healed. Let's talk about this. Why does he have to do that? So I read this and I write down the title of today's message, The Inconsiderate Jesus. Because I think it's inconsiderate. It's not downright rude. Why does he do this? Can't he just let her go? She's happy. Here's why. Verse 34. 
Put down your blasphemy stones. I found the answer. Verse 34. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Daughter. Daughter. Oh, this whole town is rejecting you. This whole town wants nothing to do with you. This whole town thinks you're an outcast and should be sent away. They want nothing to do with you. Not me. I choose you. You're my daughter. And I want the whole town to know it. You're my daughter. And this isn't daughter like you and I would say it. This means daughter of God. This means acceptable daughter. This means rejoicing in God's care and protection. You're my daughter. Why does he call her out? Because you and I, we go to Jesus for the singular cure. We go for the fix. We pray for the healing. We pray for the job. We pray for the cure. We pray for the husband or the wife. We pray for the money. We pray for the singular cure. We pray for the fix. The King James Version says in part, Thy faith has made thee whole. Jesus didn't come to put a band-aid on her broken arm. He didn't even come to heal her. He came to make her whole. That's why he came. And that's why he comes for you and me too. It's not to answer our singular prayer. It's to make us whole. That's why he comes. So he lifts her up in front of everybody and shows everybody that she is now in a position of wholeness. That's why he put the rich, important Jairus on hold because she was worth it. And so were you. So on the top of your handout, cross out the inconsiderate. Because we're renaming today's message, Jesus. Nice story, huh? Kind of gives you goosebumps and you know, makes you feel good all over. See, and we can leave now and you can say, oh, the worship, that was awesome. And the message, not bad. Oh, yeah, it feels pretty good. Good story. We can leave. And we can say, yay, Jesus. People will say, I was church. And you say, yeah, it was good. We could do that. It's a good story. I like it. But if I do that, I've failed. Because all I've done is tell you a nice story. See, I want you to walk out of here with more than that. I want you to walk out of here with four more questions. Okay, here's question number one. You ready? Are you ready? That's a question. Are you ready? I don't know what it's for. I don't know what you're ready for. But I'm asking you today if you're ready. I don't know if it's for a healing or for forgiveness or for a reconciliation. I don't know what it's for. But are you ready? And I'm asking that because I found when I pray for people now, I'm going to ask them if they really want that. Because I've asked people lately, like, do you really want to be healed? Well, you know, really? <laughs> you're not ready? Aren't you ready? You have to make a decision today whether or not you are ready. And if you don't know Jesus, are you ready today to accept him as your Lord and Savior? My hero, Mickey Mantle, he wasn't ready. 
I used to write letters to all these baseball players. Please send me an autographed picture. Little P.D. Wilmot. And I'd send them off. New York Yankees, New York, New York. And guess what? They would send back pictures, autographed pictures. Most of these guys would do that. And I wrote this guy. His name is Bobby Richardson. Bobby Richardson played second base for the New York Yankees. Dear Bobby, can I have an autographed picture? And Bobby didn't send me an autographed picture. Bobby sent me an autographed baseball card, not like the baseball cards we bought at the store, but a, kind of a different kind of a baseball card. But he signed it, and he sent it back to me. But on the back of it, they weren't statistics. On the back of it was his testimony of how he gave his life to Jesus Christ. I always thought that was so cool. And I found out a few weeks ago, he used to talk to Mickey Mantle every day about Jesus. Because they were teammates. Every day, he'd say, Mickey, let me tell you about Jesus. Mickey, come on. Mickey always said no. He was never ready. But when Mickey Mantle found out he was dying, guess who he calls? Bobby Richardson. And Bobby got on a plane and flew out to see Mickey. And he goes in the hospital room and he says, Mickey, I love you. I want to spend eternity with you in heaven. And Mickey said, Bobby, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. Mickey's my hero again. Not because he hit... 298 or 536 home runs. He's my hero because he's a life redeemed. Just like the woman, it's a life redeemed. Mickey was finally ready. The woman, she was ready. And now the question is for you, are you ready? Are you ready, ready for healing and for reconciliation and restoration and redemption? Because Jesus wants to give you that today. If you're ready, get ready. Here's question number two. Are you determined? Do you really want this thing? Because now, see, now it's no longer a story from 2,000 years ago. Now it's Edgewood, Washington. Now we're right here in this church. And we've heard about this Jesus guy, and he heals. And we haven't really seen any miracles, but we've heard about these miracles. And right while I'm talking, Jesus comes through that door with hundreds of people coming with him. Hundreds. They're squeezing through the doorway. And somebody over here sees that it's Jesus. And we don't know why we know it's Jesus, but we make a beeline for him. You go down that way and over to the back trying to get to Jesus. Because you know whatever your situation is, he can heal you with just a touch. And he starts walking up the aisle and everybody's going back to the back and up front and down this way to try to get to Jesus. And then people from the sides are squeezing in trying to get to Jesus. And when these people over here and over here realize they can't go up or back, they start pushing in on the sides. And he's standing right there in the middle. And now the question is, are you determined enough to make it from way over there to right here where Jesus is? Are you willing to fight and scrap and make it right here? Because if you are, I can tell you how to get here. If you really want it. Because if you don't want it, you didn't answer question number one right. You're not really ready. You really don't want to get here. You're not determined enough to want to get there. Are you determined enough to want to get there? To crawl, to get on the floor, to squeeze through people, to reach and touch? Because if you touch him, he'll heal you. Let me tell you how you get there. This is in the book of 1 John, chapter 1. And this is what it says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was God. And then you jump down to verse 14. 
And it says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is the word. And the question is, are you determined enough to dig through this book and find the answer? Because if you are, he will heal you. The woman spoke what was in here. She didn't know it was in here, but she spoke it because it was God's truth. Are you determined enough to find the answer to your issue in here? What does God have to say about your issue? It's in here. Let me give you a small example. And I know this is a small example compared to other issues that people have. But sometimes my job is pretty stressful. And this week was no exception. It's always bad when I'm preaching. This was really bad. Okay, there was a problem at work that affected everybody at the company. It's what we call a high-profile problem because everybody at the top of the food chain, they're going to know about this problem. And I didn't know how to fix it. And I was stressed and worried about it and really sweating it. I didn't know what to do except go into work like super, super early at 3 in the morning and worry about it and try to figure something out at work. Stay late. I don't know. I don't know. It's just a problem. So I make up this decision up here in my head because I'm so smart, you know. Oh, I'll just go into work at 3 in the morning and I'll figure it out. 3.30, whatever. I'll go in and I'll figure it out. So at 3.30, I'm lying in bed. And God says to me, do you trust me? And I said, no, actually. (laughs) I'm sorry. I want to say yes, but I know the answer is no. So I said, no, no. And he said, do you trust me? And I said, well, okay, yes, but, you know, I got this problem. And I don't know how to fix it. And everybody's going to, it's going to mess up everybody and the whole company. And I don't know what to do. Do you trust me? And he kept asking me that over and over. Do you trust me? Do you trust me? Do you trust me? And I finally said, okay, I guess the answer is yes, right? I don't know why, but the answer is yes. And then I remember part of a verse. And the verse says, trust in the Lord your God with all your heart. That's all I could remember. Can't even tell you where it was at the time. But he said, trust in the Lord your God with all your heart. That's what God's word said. That's what God said. That's what Jesus says. Okay. So I'll trust you. I'll go to work at my normal time. When I get to work, I look up the verse because I don't know where it is. It's in Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord God with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. That's what his verse says. So I type it, I copy it, type, print it out, put it on my desk. As things got tough during the day, I kept referring to that because that's what God said. God said this. I don't care what's happening in the world. God says this. Yes, I'm in trouble. God says this. It all worked out. God said this. I crawled through the crowd and I found what I could find and I touched just the hem of his cloak. I don't know what verse you need, but I can guarantee you it's in here. Crawl and find and get it. If it's healing, find it. Crawl and find it. You will find it. Trust me. If it's healing, I'll give you one here. Isaiah 53, 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. We're not going to be healed. We already are healed. Are you willing to accept that? Are you determined enough to find it? That's just one verse. Find all the verses that apply to your situation. Speak them out loud. Be determined enough to get to the middle of that 
that floor and find him. Question number three, are you able? Are you able to confess everything to him because he already knows it? Surprise. Lay it on the table. God doesn't want to heal a part of you. He wants to heal the whole of you. 1 John 1, 9 says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That certain woman did. How about you? Are you able? And finally, are you willing? Are you willing to accept God's peace and prosperity and hope for your life? It's hard when you feel like you don't deserve it. It's hard when you've been struggling for 12 years, 12 months, 12 days. I don't know what it is, but just like the woman, God wants to call you his child. He wants you to have his peace. Are you willing? No matter where you are or what you've done, God wants to call you home. Are you ready? Are you determined? Are you able? Are you willing? Let me call the worship team back up here as I close with this story. My wife and I help uh, support a young man in Japan. He's a missionary over there. He's serving uh, two years. Some of you might know him. His name is Devin Vandermulen. And Devin uh, is doing some fantastic things in Japan. And, and one of the things he does is sometimes he takes his team and he flies to the Philippines. And they join up with another team there. And what they do is, I love this ministry, they go into the red light district to where all the prostitutes are. And they go into the bars and they start giving them the gospel of Jesus Christ. They start talking to them about Jesus. And he sent us an update, and this is what he said to us. There is a bar that the base has had great favor in. The mama-san, the lady in charge of the girls that work there, actually asked if we could do a weekly Bible study in the bar for the girls. So these two weeks, we were able to join the staff in putting on a Bible study for the girls. I personally thought that it was so like Jesus to go into a dark place and hang with people and just love them. I find it interesting that the name of the bar is Escape. The inside of the bar is painted with images of people trapped behind iron bars and looking through with sad expressions on their face. I find it very interesting that this is the one bar where God gave us favor, where he's letting us have a weekly Bible study for the girls in prostitution in the middle of the red light district and where girls are hearing each week about the God that loves them and a place they can go. See, they offer these girls a way out. They say, here's where you can live. Here's a business you can be in. That's not prostitution. Here's a way out. I got to pray with one of the girls from the base while she was on duty at the bar. There was such an indescribable expression on this girl's face. And there was also a longing for more. She had only been at the bar a few weeks and was only learning how to dance. But by the way she talked about it, I could tell that she hated it. We told her about God's love for her and also about the base where she could live. Later, other members of our outreach team also met us and talked with this girl some more. On the day before we headed home, we received some very wonderful news. She decided to leave her job in the bar and come to the base to live. She is now one of the girls at the base being discipled, and it is so amazing on that last day to see the change on her face. I think she has hope again. Thank you, God, for what you are doing in the Philippines. Thank you that your heart is always for healing, reconciliation, restoration, and fullness. Wholeness. Are you ready? Are you determined? Are you able and are you willing? Because if you are, 
God has an awesome future for you. If you'd like prayer after service, I would love to pray with you. And so would Dan and other people I know will be here to pray with you. Don't let this opportunity pass you by. God has an awesome plan for you.